Hey everyone, thank you for listening to Missing on the Crawl Space Media Network. If you like this show, you will love Crawl Space, which is also hosted by us. We launched Crawl Space in 2017, and we have a huge catalog of incredible and thought-provoking interviews. Check out our entire network of shows at crawlspace-media.com. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance for this part two. What's up, Lance? Yep, we're back with part two with our good friend Clint. Uh, I'm going to give him the new nickname of Brown Recluse Harding. Uh, He is back with us. Uh, It's the continuation of the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago with him, the return to to these airwaves. A A lot of stuff is going on in this conversation. One of the things that stood out to me is I think he nailed it with the damage on Moore's car on that uh, driver's side hood. It's been the most likely hypothesis that I've heard. So stay tuned for that. We kind of touch on it towards the end of this interview. Very informative episode with Clint and uh, hope you all like it. Follow us on social media at Missing CSM. Thanks a lot. And check out all of our fine shows at crawlspace-media.com.
let's go over Mara's uh, timeline as far as college and high school. I think people are confused whether she was a junior or a senior, and I was confused myself on this. So I find I think I finally have it nailed down now. So she is a high school graduate in 2000. Uh, she spent her summer uh, six weeks in their basic training for West Point called Beast Barracks. So she started West Point in the fall of 2000 as a freshman. So she ended up uh, staying around, even though she wanted out of West Point. So she went her fall. 2001 year as a sophomore at West Point and then at the end of the the fall semester of her sophomore year is when she got out and went to UMass so she never missed a semester of school so she went right from West Point to UMass and actually was still at West Point in January of 2002 and went to UMass in January of 2002 so there was no break in there she went right to UMass in January of 2002. So she was a senior when she went missing in the spring of 2004. And I just wanted to bring that up also to point out, and I brought this up with you guys on a previous show uh, during the summer of her freshman year, she did it. She went to Fort Knox and we all have heard about the makeup theft that happened there. Uh, and I, and I want to reiterate that I, I do believe that uh, she I think she did it on purpose. I think she was wanting to ex accelerate her getting out of West Point. I don't think she wanted to be known as a quitter or somebody that would just quit, quit military life, but I don't think, she, and you got to put it in her perspective too. I mean, she was a freshman who apparently just didn't feel the army life. And by the time her freshman year ends, Everybody else at college gets to go home for the summer. But if you're a freshman at West Point in the summer, you have to spend your whole summer, all eight weeks in the field, doing training in Kentucky in the, in the probably 110 degrees. And so I, it was when she was in the middle of that field training that that, that makeup theft happened. So I do not think that was a, something she would get kicked out for uh, because the standards are if you're a freshman and a sophomore, there's a whole lot more leeway given to freshmen and sophomores than there are juniors. That's that's how the military is too uh, with their with the ranking system. So you you expect more out of your juniors and seniors, and if they were caught doing something like that, they'd probably be kicked out. But if you're a freshman and sophomore, they'll do internal punishments for you, and they don't want they they know that freshmen are going to mess up, and they know that freshmen will do things to try to get out of West Point, and so they'll want to try to encourage you to stick around, and 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 they'll they will do internal punishments to deal with minor infractions. All right, and and so that was when. Mora and Rausch met for the first time. Was that was it? Was this the same incident? They, yes, they met at West at West Point. But he uh, the story originally was that he kind of helped defend her over this uh, over some charges. That's not right. true at all. I guess he met Mora through Julie, uh, if I understand that right. So there was it had nothing to do with her makeup infraction. So interesting. Yeah, in uh, in James Renner's book, True Crime Addict. Apparently, Bill tells Renner that she got an honor code violation at West Point, and that's how they met. And it was because she had stolen a granola bar from the store. That's a new one. Renner quotes Bill as saying there were other problems, too. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's just, you know, you keep going back and, and look at these. Yeah. 
Bill was active on the forums, uh, like Reddit. Uh, it's probably been about six months ago, and he addressed a lot of stuff. And he had, did address him meeting Mara at uh, at uh, West Point, and and that's where I do recall him saying it was not. He was not like defending her, and I think that was kind of the original story that he was like put in that role, and that's how he met her. So that apparently was not true. And anything else from from Peabody on on web sleuths? Because I just I find I find that whole distance that she puts between her a, as this character named Peabody, uh, you know, to be confusing because you just you can't tell if it's true and an actual inside information for someone from someone really close to the case or some, as you put it, spin. Yes, I've I've uh, I've definitely called her called out the things that she's said over the years. Not because I think she lies or anything like that, but I think you know she's she's a mother and she's you know gonna have her certain perspective on things and and yeah, I mean there's there's a, a hundreds of posts from her that deal with all ranges of topics that that I think you can find interesting stuff. You go back to the Red Cross stuff. You go back to the soda bottle that's found under the car that supposedly has the red licorice stick in it. What'd she say about that? Going off of memory. I, I do know. So the, you guys know that when they towed the Saturn away, there was supposedly a bottle found under where the car was, I guess. Uh, so she distinctly remembered that there that she does believe it was Mara's bottle because there was a red licorice stick sticking out of the bottle. And that's how Mara, Mara, I guess, used to like to drink from licorice sticks. And But she would call it a soda, like a cherry Mountain Dew is what I think she said was found. And I think they described it as a soda with a licorice smell, uh, reddish liquor that was kind of sp- sprinkled on the snow too a little bit. So who even knows what what's real there? Because that's the only place I've ever heard about a liquor sh- stick being found in the bottle. And she and she she didn't say that as a fact. She said I think that's what they what uh, they found. That's why I think it was Mara's soda. But yeah, no, over the years, yeah, and I don't have any of that stuff now. But I go back to our old episodes because I I brought it up a lot. I don't know if I him hawed around it a little bit because I don't want to be mean and say things but i definitely have called out some things that have been said over the years and she's she's a she's a a big she's been a big voice in the case whether she's uh in a newspaper article going as herself or on a forum talking as as peabody you sent us some some other photos and uh yeah some of them are of the uh the amherst area and there's some some even from the accident site up in North Haverhill. That's and that's a really good one from from the perspective of uh, of really where the car lay, I guess, or rest. And it's it's angled towards Butch Atwood's house, and you can see his, um, I guess you'd call it garage, um, a little bit. Right. And then the rest of the house you actually can't see because this was a trip he took during the summer, and the leaves are full. Right. And then that's important to note, uh, in the winter time, you're probably gonna have a lot better visuals. So, but, but, you know, I, I, I would swear back then if, if I, you know, there's no way that Atwood could have saw the accident location from his house based on those, that photo from the summer and what I remember, but in the winter time, it could be a little different, but I still don't think 
Uh, there's a second picture that I have of Atwood's house that I just got on off of like Google maps. Uh, and I just wanted to show that because it shows how far back his house actually is. You see the, whatever you want to call that, the garage or store that's closer to the edge of the driveway, but his house is pushed back there. And supposedly on that night, he backed his bus all the way up to the house. So there's no way in that he could have saw Mara once he went to his house. And I wanted to bring up uh, spe that specific picture again, picture F, uh, it's of Atwood's house. Uh, because in, back in the day, and I'm thinking 2009 again, because that's when I started really looking into this case, you could go on Google Maps and you could still see their buses parked. And what was unique about that picture back then, I still remember it, is those buses were parked uh, you'll see in that picture some parking uh, barriers and they were parked where those barriers are and the fronts of the buses were right up against the road. So if you park that way that night, you're right. You could see everything on, on that night. But again, that night he backed up his bus supposedly. So I think that rules out. And a lot of people were wondering, could he see the accident scene still and, and all that when he called and where did he call from? And I, I just don't see, think that he saw it, could see anything. Even if he did have a clear line of sight, right? Say he was standing in front of that garage or the store yeah. um, and had a clean line of sight without any trees or anything, you're not really seeing too much of what's going on, like any actual detail. You, you might be able to make out one person, two people, that kind of thing, but you're not really getting that, yeah. that much detail because you're, you're several hundred feet or hundred yards away. And, and I bring this up all the daggum time. Lance, quit talking so much. Yeah. Let, me let me have a word in, would you? <laughs> so I, I bring this up all the time because people will bring up the fact, oh, yeah, they saw a pretty young female out there and they took the perfect opportunity to swoop in. And you guys, it's, it's 730 at night out there. There's not much lighting. If you see, even if she had walked away from her car, and, and you're driving at 55 miles an hour or 40 miles an hour past her, you're not going to know if that's a guy, a girl that you see in a, that's standing there in the cold wearing a dark jacket, supposedly. You're not going to know what you're encountering that night. So it, if somebody did do that, abduct her, they would have had to have been somebody that pulled up, talk, engaged with her, and then decided to abduct her. It would not have been something that they stalked her from you know, um, half a mile away while they were driving up to the scene you, at night, you're not going to know what you're encountering. And you're probably going to be a little spooked. If you see somebody just standing there out in that area, uh, not near their car, uh, your first instinct is not, Hey, let me just race over and open my door and let them in. You're going to, you're going to want to kind of assess the situation. What's going on here. Why are they standing there? And, so I don't know. I just never bought that, uh, the whole stalker thing. Like you, you hear about abductions where maybe somebody's walking home at, in daytime hours and they're following, somebody's following them in a car or a block away, but this isn't the kind of scenario where that's going to happen. I don't, I don't believe. Do you know if Cecil Smith left his lights on his cruiser the entire time he was there before anyone else arrived? I don't believe he did, but I do not know the answer to that, to be honest, but I don't believe he did. I remember him saying he turned on his down, what do they call it? The downlight or the, the spotlight, basically. So I know he did that to, to look over the area real quick, but I, I don't know if he left his lights on. I don't believe he did. 
because we know that his lights were on when he was en route from yeah. Witness A's t- uh, right. sighting. Uh, her description of that, she specifically remembers the lights going up and over the hills. Um, so I would imagine, though, that he probably would have because that that corner is tough. Like that's a it's very good dark. point. I I I know he's a good cop. Uh, that that just seems like routine to me that he would put something there as like an alert going around that corner because that would be dangerous for him as well to have his car there. And that would did uh, supposedly tell Mara, you know, you need to turn on your flashers or you're going to get yeah. your, your car is going to get struck. So that she obviously was their car was not in a position you would want it to be in sh- shortly after that corner. What what a really interesting point that you raised though about somebody seeing her and stalking her. So just playing and playing out the uh, the thought experiment game here. <clears throat> just playing out the thought experiment game here. If someone had passed by slow enough, and before police arrived, and after Butch Atwood arrived, or even maybe right before Butch Atwood arrived, slow enough to to see this in the dark driving by and you see a young female a young woman in the car then they turn around and come back to abduct her that had to have been again well now this would have to have been after butch atwood before the police <laughs> yeah. without faith westman seeing right and without butch atwood noticing any cars turning around on bradley hill or uh, or the red, know, don't forget the red truck on bradley hill that's pulled over which which butch, butch atwood yeah. has said many times in many newspaper articles that he definitely <laughs> saw a red truck across the street totally joking no, but, totally joking uh, cut that um, um but i mean the window there is if someone had had seen her let's let's even say someone saw her at a gas station and follow yeah, that's that's one of the investigators theories and uh, well do you i mean i just don't get it like no and I don't want to poo-poo on our buddy James because I, re- I really like James, James Renner. He, me and him have disagreed on things over the years, but me and him, I, I like him. He, man, he's provided so much to this case. Uh, but I don't want to poo-poo on his theory either, but just like Lance is saying, the time window for a tandem driver to either be ahead of Mara and then go back and get her or be behind her and let the bus driver engage with her just neither makes sense to me. I mean, if, if you're behind Mara cause you're following her and she wrecks, you're not going to let a bus driver go up and then you're, and then what are you going to do? Go hide while he's, while he's talking to Mara. He could, you knows what he was, he's going to do or what she's going to say to him. And then vice versa. If you're ahead of Mara and she wrecks and then you realize it and you go back, now you're getting into what Lance is saying. You're, you're, you have to have the perfect timing to, to pull that off and to get her and not let her get her things by the way, but let her lock the car, but not get her, her items. Uh, I don't know. We know it was quick, right? I mean, that's, that's basically the only thing we know. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. That's true. I would lean towards that could suggest that she knew whose car she got in, especially because there were no reports of yelling or anything, or she at least got in willingly, I think. Well, and to your point. Yeah. I mean, that's such a short window of time for, anything that happened, it's going to be something, I don't know, something that's going to be hard to believe probably. Here, roll this roll this around in your heads for a yeah. minute. Butch Atwood stops his bus on the street at that corner directly across from Mora is talking to Mora through his bus, right? Right. 
That's the official count. Let's say Mora's tandem driver is on the road right behind his bus. Butch Atwood just thinks, oh, I, I'm just I'm blocking traffic right now because I'm in the middle of the road talking to this person. When he leaves, Mora just jumps in that car. Gone. As Tim was saying, as quick as it happened, you know, that is actually a real scenario that could have happened. And why would Butch at that time think anything weird about a car being behind him while he stopped directly right. in the middle of the road? That is true. That is With a bus true. that's probably blocking the cars there, kind of in the road, his bus is there. A car probably the car behind him probably doesn't have any place to go, so it's not not un like it's not unnatural for a car to just come up behind him. He takes yeah. off, he pulls into his, his driveway, Mora jumps in and, and that car just passes by. Yeah, he did say there were several cars. Yeah, I mean I don't know about if he'd see if he'd have seen that in his mirror. Um, or not, depending on how close that car was. But yeah, I, I mean, something happened really close there in the in time. Yeah. You guys give any credence to that she could have went to somebody else's house and something bad happened? Do you think you think she would have went to a house nearby there to to seek help? Maybe. I think there probably you know there there have been searches. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there maybe there wouldn't have been any evidence to to convict anyone found yet but i kind of feel like there might have been you know what i mean like how did, how are you going to pull that completely off right right in front of everyone right there i don't know well i my i've said it before i i believe the only house that she would have made a uh, conscious decision to go into or walk up to would be butch atwoods because he had already promised her um, you know, why don't you come in and stay warm? Whatever. Like he, he already offered help, like come up, I'll, we'll call the police. And if she, if she had a moment to herself there after he left, I think the only house that she would logically say this makes sense to go is his house because she said she didn't want him to call the police. So that would help her in her attempts to make sure that he's not going to call the police. Like maybe I'll go in there and I'll convince him to call my sister or my dad or somebody else that can come and help me aside from the police. Yeah. I've thought of that too. You know, maybe he helped her out that night, you know, and, and even though his story didn't go that way, but maybe he helped her out. Maybe he had a soft heart and felt like, well, I don't really want to ruin this person's, you know, future. So maybe he helped her and kind of hit it from the cop. That That is a possibility. Uh, but then again, then the encounter, he describes it as kind of warm, but was it really warm? I don't know how, how his encounter really was. He could have been angry at her for being out in the road like that and thinking, you know, she's up to no good or something. It's just one of those things that will probably remain a mystery. Uh, yeah. I- 7.30 at night, too. I don't know. I, I know it's pitch black and at that time of year in that area up there, basically basically pitch black. Uh, the sun has been set for a few hours by that point in February. Um, but that's just not like like a time of malice. You know what I mean? Like 7.30 p.m. Like Butch Atwood was driving his school bus home. People are just driving around ready to pick up people, you know, others and do bad things. I don't know. It just seems a little early for that kind of action, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And and we don't know what state Mar was in. She could have been hurt from the accident. She could have been intoxicated and all that could have played in a part. They did talk to each other. So who knows exactly what happened there? We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. 
I wanted to bring up, because I think I heard it on your show at some point, maybe even fairly recently. Do you guys ever remember talking about the metal post theory? I, I call it metal post. I don't even know if you'd call it that. You see it, and there's a couple pictures that I call it picture C and picture D. Uh, it was up, you can see the Westman's house in this photo, and you can see the curve wow. that Mara came around, and you see these little metal uh, posts. That's what I'm going to call it for this show. I, I'm pretty stupid when it comes to that stuff, but you'll see, you'll see all these metal posts all around. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to when you guys did, uh, when we were talking about the, uh, the uh, construction. And how they were talking about maybe an angle and how, you know, the, the way that her front end was impacted, uh, it, it can't be something that goes all the way from top to bottom. But if you have one of those poles that's angled, maybe angled mm -hmm. out, and and it's also up on a little bit of a hill, and then you had a snowbank that was supposedly there as well. I'm wondering if she could have impacted one of those without fully hitting it if you know what i'm i don't even know what i'm saying actually but no uh, have you guys has somebody brought that theory up because i could have swore it was on your show that i heard that yeah i think we were debating that a little bit um in in our uh, one of the collision report episodes as a possibility um yeah i, I think it would definitely it, it seems like it would have had to have been angled as you said but i think that's a possibility i don't i don't know why it wouldn't be i don't know if there were there, there was one on that side there was one right on the curve and what's important about that is if you believe a guy by the name of dick guy who was an ems uh, he was a tv repairman who was also a part-time ems he believes that she veered off towards the westman's house and sheared the snowbank that was right around the, that curve there and that mm -hmm. and when she whatever she impacted it caused her to kind of bounce over to the other side of the road and caused her car to spin back facing west i just i want to be clear are we referring to those reflector poles think so yeah i think the little so. white reflector on top yeah and i don't have those yep. pictures in front of me but they're they're clearly they're, they're the, the picture c is the one i want people to really pay attention to if you can if you if you put that up there because that there's a post there's actually tire impressions in the grass right yeah i there. see that uh, yeah not saying that was Mara's because this picture was in 2011 i realize that those aren't Mara's tires impressions but just to show that some people do seem to drive on on that uh, little curb there. Okay, hang on. I think you nailed it here. You're you're showing a picture of this reflector. Well, I, I can't see is, it right now, but go ahead, go ahead. Which is slightly so where the view is of the weathered barn. If you were to look at yeah. the direction Morris' car is coming, right. And 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 the theory is that she shaved that side of the road, like she she didn't see the curve coming up, and likely overcorrected and and cut through like that the like the apex or i think that's what it's called instead of following the curve she went more straight through that curve right that would be what dick guy see that's what he believes and he was there that night and i i think he's using what he saw from the snow the snowbank i guess was sheared off over there so yeah. something something caused that so if the snowbank is sheared off and there actually was a reflecting pole right there, which is probably about three and a half or four feet tall, and it's angled out towards the road from the bottom to the, to the, to the top is angling out slightly. I mean, it's right. a slight angle out to the road, but if, but if it's kind of buried in snow and she hits that, 
I could absolutely see that damage that we're talking about on the front of her car being that. That pole, which is secured in there now by a snowbank, and she hits it, and it bends in towards her car like that, and then you don't get the damage on the bottom because it's angled slightly out to the road. I could absolutely see that happening. I think you nailed it. And is her car then going to kind of naturally turn the way if you hit it, is it going to naturally turn to where her driver's side is kind of keep, keeps going? Uh, I'm wanting to say West. Uh, so she ends up facing West because of that impact. If you, if you know what I'm saying there, uh, yeah. pretty bad about that. Now here's something else though. Cecil Smith's version, which I, how can you take away from his version? He's a, He's the guy that was there and doing the actual accident reconstruction. He says there was no skid marks at all. So the only thing he went off of was tire impressions in the snow. Of course, the road wasn't, it was probably pretty bare. So the tire impressions, he says, start at the tar, he calls it, but that's the road, obviously. And they go directly into a set of trees. And then the tire impressions pick up again, going out from the trees, right to where Mara's car rested. So, yeah, but I could see it happening uh, to where she hit the other side, went across the road, didn't leave tire impressions because the road was probably bare, then started leaving tire impressions as she, whatever, if you want to say she hit trees or she ended up near trees, something probably caused her to bounce off of on the other side as well, and then forced her to come back to where her car was left resting. So facing the other direction so right. that. The driver's side is on the side of the trees. Right, right. It makes total sense. If you're coming from, from that direction and you hit that snowbank and you hit the pole and then you you overcorrect trying to pull yourself out of there, even if she, even if she messed up a little bit and overcorrected the wrong way, her car is going to end up facing the wrong way because she's right. coming into the road. You see what I'm saying? Like she's right. not she's cutting through she's not going into like the westman's backyard she's heading towards she's heading towards the tree that had the ribbon that's her trajectory right if you were to hit that part if you're driving a car in the dark you hit that part which way do you turn do you turn into the road you would turn into the road to get away from that you're still moving yeah, I guess it just depends on the angle of where she, what, where she hit, how her car would respond to that. I guess I'm saying, but Cecil Smith, what he says, it sounds like it's completely opposite of what, uh, but, but I don't think it is actually now that we're now that we've talked it out a little bit. So, I think it's worth exploring. Now the million dollar question, because I'm a dummy when it comes to this stuff. Do you think that metal post is strong enough to? Leave? I mean, those cars are pretty plasticky so well no i don't think that the metal pole alone in the picture that you have where it's like the summertime i think you could probably just clip that thing and it might it might uh you know take some paint off and leave a small dent but i think a metal pole that's been reinforced by a few weeks of snow like a snowbank and it's not moving like i absolutely think that and i absolutely think it could have been a determining factor as to why there was no bottom damage because the bottom part was covered by snow and the way her car might have shaved that snowbank, it kind of clipped it midway through, probably. This is just me hypothesizing. And pushed the top part down. Like, caught the bang. post, but yeah. didn't fully engage with the snowbank. Because it's out, it's out there at that slight angle. Yeah. I'd like to know if like the, there was any damage on that 
on that metal. I mean, yeah. calling it a post isn't even really right. It's like a right. A, yeah, it's kind of like a mile marker. Like it's, it is hard to describe. Yeah, so it's little reflector things. Yeah, I was, that, I was gonna say mile marker, but I tried to Google images of it. Couldn't really get a good name for it. Yeah, a few feet high, but skinny. You know, you could probably kick one over if you really tried hard enough. Maybe I don't know how deep they are on the ground. I did have some pictures that showed Mara's route, and I wanted to make sure we that the. Uh, re, do, what do you guys think on that? Do you first off, what, there's different ways you could get to the area that she got to. Do you think she took I ninety one, or do you think she went a different way that day, based on what you know? I think it sounds like she went up ninety one and uh, got off that exit seventeen. Okay, Lance, you believe you uh, are you in that camp too? Because I think that's what her father, that is what her father believes happened as well. Uh, and he believes that she was heading towards Bartlett. And, and that's important because she is familiar with Bartlett. We do know that. That's important because, again, and I brought this up before, but I want to make sure people always ask, why would she take uh, exit 17? She's, she must have been lost. She must not known where she was going. So if you do a Google Maps uh, search today, for Kennedy Hall going to the where the uh, to Bartlett, uh, it's actually going to have you stay on I-91, and you're going to actually go. It's almost like you're doing a full loop. You're going to go past the area of where Bartlett is. You're going to come back around and go back down to get to Bartlett. Now, if I personally, I don't follow what Google Maps tells me. I'm just going to look at the map, and if I see a road that seems to me like it goes directly to Bartlett. I'm going to take that one. And I understand that this is a very windy road and it's pretty, and in wintertime, it's very dangerous. But would Mara, if she's not familiar with, with that exactly, and if she's just looking at a map, would she consider that when she uh, went, went about her route? Cause I think she purposely took 17 cause I think she was heading for the Bartlett area. And to me, that makes the most sense. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't make the most sense to keep on I-91 if, uh, but if you're practical and you're thinking about everything from winter conditions and all that, then yes, staying on I-91 makes sense. But I just, again, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have stayed on I-91 if I was a college student just out driving, trying to get to Bartlett. Well, I will say that, you know, avoiding uh, the snow is, is definitely a way of life in, in the Northeast yeah. and especially in New Hampshire and the White Mountains. Um, and Maura was pretty familiar with it. So if she were to have gotten those directions to take her in that loop up 91 north yes. and then it loops around and you actually stay on an interstate and you're on 93 at that point, right. Right. that sounds likely to me. Uh, okay. this sort of Northeast culture is really all about the highway. If you can, if you can stay on the highway, especially in the winter, you're going to do it. I think. That's a very good point. Yeah. And then of course I'm there in July of 2011 and I ended up, I ended up going all the way up cause I actually stayed in Littleton, which is obviously, so it, it kept me going up. I just remember thinking, you know, why would I stay on I-91 if I'm going to go to Bartlett? But, but in the winter time, like you said, it does make sense. I mean, practical sense for sure. I mean, the, it's windy. We know how we bo- all have been on Route 112, and that is a pretty, even that turn, that turn that uh, where Mara crashed is not even the worst turn on that road, not even by a long shot. 
So it's a crazy road to take in the, and definitely in the winter time, I can see it being, you know, very scary. Yeah. And we, we do know she got gas at some point within say 30 miles of the accident site. So now maybe she saw that her gas tank was running low and she wanted to get off that exit and then was like, changed her mind once she got there. So, oh, I know this road. It seems fine. The roads are dry. Totally reasonable thing to do. Um, again, we know she got gas, so I don't know. I Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on. I think that was because that's what we're saying. It, this was an intentional decision going up 91, cutting through uh, to, to be then on your way to Bartlett or wherever. This was an intentional decision. I personally don't think she she got lost and she was trying to figure out her way around there um, because it makes no sense why you would why you would do that. Um, it was probably part of the plan. She probably was heading up there. She got off the highway, knew knew the road that was coming up, and thought first gas station I stop at, I got to fill up because I or not fill up, but the first gas station I stop at. Um, well, yeah, I guess she did fill up. She did, yeah. Yeah, first gas station, you fill up because she probably didn't even know the uh, Swiftwater shop was, was there. How would you even yeah. think, like know if they're going to be open at that time? So, yeah, first opportunity to get gas, she got gas. Yeah, and I think pretty much anyone in that area, too, is really familiar with how those highways do connect and do that loop. Um, so if you're on 91 North, um, you're not really going to consider yourself lost because you know where you're headed, you know, you, you know where that's eventually going to end up taking you. I don't know. Cause I've, you know, you hear stories, Oh, she's not familiar with that area. And I just, I don't know. I've never bought that. I know, I know most of the time she's probably coming from Hanson. So she's probably not going up I-91 to get to Bartlett, which I know she's familiar with Bartlett and those areas. I just, I don't know. I don't feel, I, I do feel like she's probably been on that route before. Uh, like I said, they, they went, hiking a few months before she went missing and they were all over the place. They were in Vermont, New Hampshire, and you're right. all, you're near I-91 doing all that. So I don't know. And I think they, Fred and um, Maura together hiked several of the, the mountains in the, the presidential range together. So uh, yeah, and they, they did travel up both sides of I-91. So Yeah, so I think they traveled up 91 a bit. So yeah, she was probably familiar with that area. That was probably intentional, I guess. I did include some hotel pictures. People often confuse which hotel Fred stayed at. I don't know if that's important to go over now, but uh so back it is, the official address was 237 Russell Street in Hadley, Massachusetts. Mass How do you say that, Lance? Tell me how to say it. So in 2004, 2004, when, when uh, Fred stayed there, it was a quality inn. In 2011, when I stayed there, it was a comfort inn. And in current day, 2021, it's a roadway inn. So just giving you a little history there. There's a big parking lot in the back of that hotel. And I think that's where Fred's car was towed to that night because it's, it's wide open parking and it's meant for like RVs and, and bigger, larger vehicles. So I'm pretty sure that's where his vehicle was towed. And then there's a photo that shows like a green awning. Uh, and that is where the pool and workout area is of that hotel. And the lobby is actually to the right of that. And when I checked out, I did ask the, asked to speak to the, a manager and I got uh, what I believe was one of the owners. It's a, it was a female and she, and asked her about Mara Murray, and she didn't remember a thing about Mara Murray, but she said she was a manager back in January of 2004 is when they started, 
And of course, it, this happened in February of 2004. And, and she didn't remember anything about Mara Murray or a, a car being towed there that was all crushed up or any incident in the lobby with Fred and Mara. But she said if she wasn't working, then probably her husband was working and he never said anything about it to her. So so we'll just kind of have to leave that there. So I, I did try to find out any information I could while I was there, uh, but didn't get anywhere. And, and that was ironic because in, in uh, U, at UMass, everybody I asked about Mara Murray, nobody knew a thing. But when you go to New Hampshire, and you talk to people, they all knew, they may not have known her name, but the, oh, that's that missing, that girl that went missing over there. Everybody knew about it in New Hampshire. Nobody knew about Mara Murray in Mass. I guess that's just probably college, difference between college and a small and smaller towns, I guess. That was back in 2011 that you were at the... Yes, summer of 2011. You guys wore me out. Now I'm going to go back <laughs> and be in a recluse for the next year, I think. And then I'll come out again. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.